I think it is the responsibility of a company to provide some support for their employees. And so I would say those two things come to top of mind, transparency and, and support. I need some traction. You need some traction. Let's get some traction. Hey, what's up, innovators, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and disruptors? This is your Traction Podcast host, Lloyd Lobo. We're a community of over 100,000 people, just like yourself, on a mission to help you get the methods, the money, and the madness to explode your business growth. Featuring stories and tactical advice straight from those who've done it before, like Shopify, Twilio, Asana, and many more. This episode is brought to you by Boast.ai. Each year, the U.S. and Canadian governments give out billions of dollars in R&D tax credits and innovation incentives to fund businesses like yours. But the application process is cumbersome, prone to frustrating audits, and receiving the money can take up to 16 months. Boast.ai gets you access to research and development tax credits and innovation funding opportunities without the headache and red tape. Join thousands of North American companies leveraging Boast AI software to maximize cashback. Check out boast.ai. This episode is also brought to you by Launch Academy, an international tech hub that provides mentorship, resources, network, and the environment for entrepreneurs to launch, fund, and grow their startups. Since 2012, Launch Academy has incubated over 6,000 entrepreneurs, of which 300 have grown their startups past seed and series A and have collectively raised over a $1.2 billion in funding. To learn more about Launch Academy's programs, check out launchacademy.ca. Hiring has turned into gatekeeping, right? Building a great company is not about selecting people that fit your culture and keeping people who don't. And it's, it's a very stressful exercise. You are building this mafia or this clique where you know if you're if you fit in then you're in if not you're out and when you do that you're limiting yourself to just a small set of people right you're not expanding the scope of your company and the fundamental sort of truth behind growth openness is the biggest and most indispensable enabler of growth right there's this gartner stat where 75% of organizations with, with frontline decision-making teams that reflect a broad and diverse sense of culture will exceed their financial targets. So today's session is not so much about being like, it's not a DNI lecture, right? It's not a right. lecture about right. diversity and inclusion. It's a, it's a discussion on how do you expand your company's culture? So the people who come in with you, they're bringing their own skill sets, they're bringing their experience, but they're also bringing their culture and it makes your company bigger, it makes your culture bigger and, and you expand and you grow because of the openness of it. So I wanna kick this off by asking you, Carol, what's your definition of culture? Just going back to what you just, you just said there, it's really interesting to think about how when it comes to business and how when it comes to growth, we always think about new markets and how to expand and being open. But then when it comes to sort of culture and who we hire, it's the opposite in, in many cases. But to answer your, your question, Lloyd, for me, when I think about culture, I think about what is the personality of the organization? And what I mean by that is 
what are the the values, what are the beliefs, what are the behaviors that the people within the organization are are living out day to day. And so that that's what I think about when I think about culture. And a good example of this, and I was just thinking about this as we were preparing for for this chat today, is I always get people, so I've been at Live Intent for six and a half years. I always get people from time to time that will ask me, why are you still there? What keeps you at Live Intent for so long? Because apparently being in one organization for six and a half years is, is a long time in our space. And it usually comes down to two things for me and how I respond, right? The first one is about the people, right? And the reason why it's important to work with people that you enjoy working with is because you spend the majority of the life with the people that you work with. So you better find some common ground with them. You better enjoy being with them day to day. But I think beyond that, one of the values that we have at Live Intent is we put people first. That's one of our values. And the reason why we say that is because we do care about our employees. We do care about our, our customers, right? We are a very transparent organization with our employees in terms of how we communicate to them and all the information that they know about the, the status of the organization and, and where we're in the direction we're going, so on and so forth. But we also make sure that we are supporting our employees as best as possible. And obviously the last 12 months, this is actually the week, this this is our actual our anniversary week, I think, when we started working from home. So it's those sort of you know values and beliefs that tie into me and why I've been with the company for so long. Coming back to this whole culture aspect here, what sets the culture in a company and what breaks the culture? Yeah, so I, I think that the tone of the organization in many ways is set by uh, the executive leadership and then other leaders throughout the organization. But I feel like from a culture perspective, I think it's really the responsibility of every employee within the organization to not only live out that culture, but the other piece of this is protecting that culture as well too, right? Because not everyone that comes into the organization not everyone that maybe interviews for a job is going to have the same, you know, values uh, and and beliefs and and want to live that day to day. And I think when you have individuals within your organization that don't sort of align to the culture or add to it in a significant way, it can actually end up hurting the organization uh, as well too. And what are, what are some examples you've seen where like culture breaks? Ooh, examples where I've seen. So yeah, let's go back to values and beliefs, right? If you have people in the organization that don't believe in the strategy or vision of the company, culture can break then. If, if you have people that maybe don't get along with each other, that can ultimately be detrimental to the organization, especially at the executive level. If people don't, and I'm speaking in general terms here, but if people don't get along at the executive or senior leader level of the organization, that can be de- detrimental to, to a company as well too. If you have to start your own company, today, what would be the key cultural elements you would put in place? Yeah, great question. Transparency, I think is super important. I think now more than ever, every employee within an organization wants to understand where the company is going and wants to have complete transparency into or as much transparency as possible into the status of the organization. 
I think that's super important. I think across the organization is super important. Again, think about the world that we live in now and everyone being spread out in this this virtual world and, and what's going on. I think employees want to be supported in ways that maybe they have not before. And you think about, again, us all being home, but, you know, think about parents and, and kids that they have at different uh, stages of their life. Think about how people are dealing with and maybe struggling with uh, mental health and other things. But I think it is the responsibility of a company to provide some uh, support for their employees. And so, Lloyd, I would say those two things come to top of mind, transparency and, and support. You can't have transparency and support without empathy, right? And having empathy yeah. and, and being, yeah. and em, em, empathy gets tossed around like a bag of trash here in the community. But what, what really it means is, can you feel and understand, can you really feel the pain alongside them? And empathy is needed in building a company, building a product, building any relationship. The key yeah. to long lasting relationships starts with empathy. And I will say to that, Lloyd, like one of the things, and, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, one of the things that I have uh, really tried to improve on as a leader, especially over the last 12 months or so, is listening, listening more than uh, talking. And I think like the, I bring that up because of what you just said in terms of empathy, right? Like you can't really get an understanding of what your teammates are going through, what your peers are going through, what your employees are going through if you are not really listening to them. And it doesn't mean that you're going to always have all the answers for them. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to solve all of their challenges. But I, I think as leaders who lead organizations, I think listening is something that goes uh, underrated at times. And, and I bring that up because you brought up empathy. And I think that they, the, the two go together. Yeah, definitely. You have to slow down to listen and observe. You have to be humble to learn and change and strive to not only know what they're dealing with, but feel and understand it with them. And I think that that is the key thing here behind empathy. And a lot of people just say, we're going to listen. But if you're going to listen and, and tune out because you have too many reports or too much going on, then you got to clear your plate. Yeah. As a leader, that's something that I've been wrestling with is like, how do I reduce the burden on all the in the weed stuff. So the six or seven people that do report to me end up getting all the attention and I'm invested in their life and their growth. Yep. So and, yep. and if you're invested in somebody's growth, then yep. they're going to be invested in, in your growth. There's this book I like a lot. It's called Influence by Robert Cialdini. It's mm -hmm. a fantastic book. A lot of people think it's a sales book, but what it is, it's just the art of building long-term relationships and the steps to influencing somebody starts with, you know, reciprocity, like doing something for them. And if you do good and you help them succeed enough, then they'll do the same. There's a few questions here. How do you deal with a toxic personality? What are some traits? Have you observed this in the workplace and how have you dealt with it? Yeah. In the past, what I try to do is I try to address the situation as quickly and as soon as possible. And, and I try to use those types of situations as educational moments, meaning if someone is being toxic in a meeting, I try to address it with that person and, and point out the example where maybe they were uh, toxic and then that sort of maybe derailed the meeting or made someone else feel uncomfortable, so on and so forth. So I think education is a part of it because not to make excuses for, for people that are toxic at times, but sometimes they don't that they're actually being 
toxic. And so I've used that as such times where I can point it out. And, and quite frankly, sometimes uh, it's worked and, and people have gotten better about it. And sometimes it happens, right? It, it, where people don't get better at it is, is what I meant to say. And what I think the important thing as leaders is to address those situations. And that sort of is a great example, going back to what I said earlier about like, it's every employee's job to actually protect the organization's uh, culture and to point out when people are being toxic, to point out when there may be an unconscious bias situation, to point out when something is not going right. It is the, the, the company's job to protect the culture. If you look at your whole company as cultural contributors versus they have to fit this culture, then they will protect it. And that is the key thing. We oftentimes uh, get caught up in this, they have to fit our culture. But if you say you got to hire for the people that are going to grow your company and add value, there's key things like integrity and honesty and relationship and empathy. If they hit some of the key things, but there may be other things that not part of your culture, if you allow them to bring, then they'll protect that. We are the sum of yeah. everyone. Jody asks, how far do you go with transparency? We struggle with too much and not enough. Great question. I, I, I would say at Live Intent over the last six and a half years, we've tried a number of different things related to transparency within the organization. Some have worked and some haven't. And what I mean by that is I, I think it's something that you always have to try to work at and figure out what works best in your organization. I will say right now, one of the things that we do that seems to be working out really well for us is we regularly have Q&A sessions. And essentially what they are now is, and I think we're doing them once a month now, where we will have an all hands meeting and we will set up a, a polling system and all employees are, are free to, to ask questions. And we will use that in all hands meeting for the executives to answer the employees' questions. And they can range from everything from our strategy to how we're doing financially, to what our product roadmap looks like, to any recent news that we may want to respond to questions of working from home and when we're going back to the office. It really runs the gamut of things that our employees are uh, concerned about and want to hear from our executive leadership team about. And that seems to be working really well for us right now. I'm going to ask you around hiring here, right? So how can leaders and their teams foster this broad and diverse culture in the workplace from the beginning, right? Like it all starts from the hiring. What is your advice yeah, yeah. So actually, I think it actually starts before the employee is actually hired. I actually think it starts during the recruiting process. And what I mean by that is, right, like before people even apply for a job, they're going to potentially do some research. And so how does your brand actually show up in the marketplace? How are people perceive, perceiving your brand in the marketplace? What does that sort of look like? And when I say, and when I say, what does that look like? I'm not talking about putting a bunch of stock photos of diverse people on your website. I'm not referring to that, but I, what I am referring to showing and highlighting the real culture and real things that you're doing in the organization. And so one of the ways that we do that at Live Intent on our website, on our blog, we actually have a culture section on our blog. And that section is really filled with stories and events from around the company and highlight employees from different areas within the organization. And we know that section of the website gets heavily visited by people who are looking to apply for jobs or people who have applied for jobs and are you know, preparing for 
uh, interviews. We've made some uh, changes to our job post postings now, right, where we make sure that we're using language that's inclusive. And even in our requirements for specific jobs, we're really trying to make sure that we are truly pushing for only making sure that what's in the required section of the job description is actually truly required. And so those are some of the things that we actually do even prior to an employee coming on board. And I will tell you more and more people, we've seen this trend and Lloyd, I'm sure you've seen it and others who are listening in where people are really more concerned about the company's culture and making sure that is a requirement for them, that their beliefs and their values align with the company that they're applying for a job. I've even had people at times reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, hey, Corel, I'm thinking about, not that I've applied, but I'm thinking about applying for a job at Live Intent. And I'd love to understand from you what has been the experience of a Black employee at Live Intent. And so that, that's an example of, of what I mean. But then moving towards after we've actually hired someone and we're actually onboarding them, I think it does start right there from the beginning. We have a very thorough onboarding process, thanks to our people uh, development team, where we make sure that any employee coming on board understands all of our company values. We make sure that they understand that there are um, resource groups out there. We have a number of uh, employee resource groups that, that you can join and be a part of. We have other initiatives that support um, our employees across the organization. And another thing that we do too is every new employee during their onboarding process, they have an introductory meeting with a representative from every department within the organization. And the reason why we do that is because, again, we want to make sure our employees understand not only our, our company culture, but what every single department does. And one piece of advice I always give to every single employee that joins Live Intent that I have a chance to speak with is I tell them that take your time when you join the company and make sure that you spend time truly understanding our customers and truly understanding our company culture. Because I've seen it over the last six and a half years, I've seen the people that take their time and build that foundation from the beginning, they have long lasting careers at Live Intent. And the people that don't do that, they have a very tough time. I want to dive into Jody's question here. Jody, she's a VP finance at a fast growing startup, and uh, they're seeing growth like never before. And their wonderful, scrappy veteran startup team is struggling with the change. Like, how do you get them on board with the change? How do you empower them to participate? And how do you quell their doubts about going from fun startup to corporate scale up? And this is everyone's mm. problem right now. This is what mm. I started with is like hiring is not meant to be gatekeeping. It's yeah. not. And if you do that, you're never going to grow. Openness is the most indispensable path to growth. So how do we preserve the culture we have while still growing up? I think, um, Carol, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a tough one. That is certainly a tough one. And, and again, like you said before, Lloyd, you and I aren't experts at, at this. We're speaking from our experience and we're, we're trying to learn from people just as much as we're, we're trying to share. 
our experiences. At Live Intent, we are 12 years old. Actually, our, our anniversary is is next month. We will be a 12-year-old company. And so again, I've been there for, for half of, of the company's life. And I've seen us go through the changes, right? That is one of the hardest things to do is to go from a, a startup to a much more well-established company, right? Because your processes have to change. You have to hire more people. You're going from an adolescent to a teenager or a teenager to an adult. And that, that can be tough. I, I don't know if I have all the right answers there, other than to say that as you look to expand and grow the company, I think you have to have as many people from different areas of the company that are involved in the hiring process to make sure that you are focused on culture ad and not culture fit. That would be one of the pieces of advice I would give. Definitely. And I, I love that culture ad versus culture fit. Jody, I want to invite you to talk if you're open to it. It's yeah. been a while anyway. It would be good to to invite you to join. Come on up, Jody. <laughs> yeah. So what is your feedback? I think what I'm seeing here is sometimes the internal people end up becoming not the experts, right? The suggestions are coming internally, but they go on deaf ears and it's almost like you have to hire an external expert to say the same thing to the team. But how are you solving this? <laughs> how are we solving it? You know, I think that your point about having as many people participate in the hiring process as possible is um, something that we're really focused on. We spend a lot of time talking to our staff about how we're planning to grow the company and why we need to, to add these processes and add people and become a little more formal than we're used to, but getting that buy-in is a struggle and it's so time consuming. And I feel like I'm constantly defending our decisions as an executive team. And when we set to scale up this year, we had a town hall meeting where we said things are going to change. And I've been through this before. And I want you guys to just have an open mind. And when these changes come down the pipe, I think your natural inclination is to just push back and be like, oh, I hate change. And this is so awful. And our, our company's getting destroyed. But in reality, you need to have a mindset of I'm open to change. I know it's for the greater good. I'm going to embrace this change as much as possible and enjoy the ride. And we keep having to keep that message and they're hearing it, but it's, there's still pushback. They still, the change is really hard on them. So I'm looking for more ideas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you on that, Jody. Yeah. Cha change is, is hard for, for people. Listen, ch change sometimes can be hard for me as well, too. I, I think it's just sure. in, in, in everyone's human nature, like that change can be difficult. And what I always just try to do is just put my mindset myself in the mindset of just, this is just an evolution of what we're doing as a company. And again, everyone has evolved in their life, right? No, no one is the same person, or at least I hope no one is the same person at age 15 than they are at age 30. It, it changes is inevitable. I think if, if you want, if people want to have long lasting careers within their industry, they do have to adapt. So I, it's a tough one, but I, I would strongly consider, like I said, um, the diverse um, interview panel, I think, can be something that can be effective. I've seen it be effective for us at Live Intent as well, too. And yeah, don't have all the answers, but hopefully that one helps. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing I want to just bring debate on is this. How can we walk away with something like something very concrete? Right, The only thing constant is change. And a lot of people don't want to change it. And, and because they don't, 
I think it's like an innate weakness, right? It's you're protecting yourself when you don't want to change. You're thinking about all the possible things that could go bad. But I think reasoning with data always helps. We have this awesome t-shirt mm. that I'm not wearing today, or maybe I am. It says, uh, it said, I love it when you talk. I can send you that t-shirt. You can send it to your exec team. I just ordered 500 of them. But I love it when you talk data to me. Like reason with data, bring data about where diversity and openness of ideas have led to growth, right? There's some core values that companies have at the top, right? Maybe that's empathy, maybe that's integrity, maybe that's teamwork. As long as you're, you're as a company, not being an asshole or being evil, like Google calls it, if, as long as you're not being evil, <laughs> I think everything is can be culture ad in a good way. And what I would recommend, honestly, if you're team members or executive team is not open to that change. First, like reason with data and case studies. It's a sales process. You're selling all the time. You're selling to customers. You're selling internally. You're selling to the press, everything. So as a people and HR leader, your job is to sell them. What is the top of the funnel? The way I look at it is when you're selling to a customer, top of the funnel content, you're educating them on this idea, let's call it. Then you have middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel content, case studies and testimonials. And then you go for the close. And I think here, if you take the same approach with articles, just sharing, incepting them. And we hate this because as humans, we want instant gratification. But the fact is when you have so many people around the table, sometimes you have to incept the idea, then they internalize it. And then maybe a couple of months later. But I think like things like sharing articles, sharing case studies and bringing experts to speak on the topic can be the first step like of the sales process. I mean, if all else fails, I think just saying, <laughs> bringing an external expert always helps because when you pay for something, you want to listen to them. When you pay for an external yeah. help, I don't know, that's my thought. Suman has a bunch of thoughts here as well. Suman, would you like to join us and, and add to this? Awesome, I'm gonna unmute. I'm enjoying this very much. We've never done this format, but this format was encouraged by Carol, so I'm thankful. That we're making it super interactive. So let's start this way. I'll let you comment on Jody's question here on how do you take a team that's struggling with change, an executive team that's struggling with change, and learn to help them get on board. I think just startups fundamentally hate the fact that it's going to be corporate, but it doesn't have to be. What's your advice for Jody? I don't necessarily have any advice for Jody specifically, but I think that the point she made is is very accurate. I think the hardest part about getting people across change is change, and I think. When you say incepting people, I agree, but also I think there's a different element to that. It's not so much trying to get them to, because the idea of incepting is making the idea theirs. But conceptually, what we want to do as a team, and I've seen this kind of in my department as we've gone and grown, is evolving that concept, introducing the idea of simplicity through departmental process or these modifications that allow for the company to say, hey, if we change, what we're actually doing is improving X, Y, and Z. If X, Y, and Z are clear improvements, it's really hard to argue with that process to say, I don't like it is one thing, but to be empirically against it is another. So mm -hmm. I, I think that all the stuff you guys are saying and, and Jody's points are extremely valid and they totally make sense to me. It's so the comments I made were the, the trouble I have, or at least that I've seen across kind of evolution is def definitions of those changes. So if you're introducing departments, defining departments with clear separations between other departments really makes for a lot more clarity. And I think that any company that's going through a scale up or going from a startup to a more a quote unquote corporate, because I think the term is derogatory as it is. 
corporate. But, yeah, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It just sounds so <laughs> negative. Nobody wants to be corporate because it's like yeah. the idea of being like, hey, a bunch of people hanging out, doing work, crushing it, and then suits. That's like the difference yeah. between corporate. Now, obviously, that's not really the case. But I think definitively when people say turning corporate or growing, it's that expectation that things are going to change. But I think there's a better way to say it without having to say we're going through all these methods and these improvements so that we become a more efficient, more effective and more processed and intelligently processed driven business. That's where my logic sits and how I relate that to my team is encouraging that level of like clarity and support. Yeah, definitely. I, I read this book recently, Ask Your Developer. There's a lot of cultural elements tied here. Jeff Lawson, CEO of Twilio, has built one of the largest developer communities. And the way he's structured and built the team is great. But the point I'm trying to make is maybe um, this is a question to ask other people on the team. Like, how do I sell this to the executive of the team? And I often find like for us, we have this rock star salesperson who's very good at communication and messaging. And I tend to ask him a lot. He's like, how do I position this? Like maybe asking somebody who's not in your job, but whose job it is to sell is sometimes almost better. Like how do I position this for buy-in from the customer or, or rather the exec team? I want to ask some questions in, in rapid fire here uh, to, to you guys, Every, everyone's uh, who's on the, whose voice is being heard. Do you hire for strength or do you hire for lack of weakness? Ooh. <laughs> I want to hear Carol first, man. I was going to let you go first. <laughs> oh, damn. Sure. Um, hiring for strength. I'm right now I'm in the middle of processing resumes and interviewing as it is for some positions. And my inclination is always to hire for strengths because sometimes in your team, you have a few gaps. You have a few soft spots, maybe. I'm going to not call them gaps necessarily, but a few differences in experience and knowledge and hiring somebody for the strength that fills in some of those gaps means that their weaknesses can be made up by the rest of the team and also supported to grow and learn and become like that solid, strong team where someone's strength now becomes a pillar for them to help others lean on and learn from. That's, that's my process at least. Yeah. Just to add to that, I, I would say I always try to figure out where I need to add to the team in terms of, in terms of skill set, in terms of perspective and, and background, so on and so forth. So I guess to answer your question directly, Lloyd, it, it would be more of hiring for strength, but filling in where maybe we need to be stronger in a certain area within the department. Again, going back to thinking about my marketing team, we we manage a number of different areas within marketing, right? From PR, corporate communications, to product marketing, demand gen, creative and branding. And, and the skill set and expertise across that those levels of marketing are going to be different. And what I'm always trying to do with my senior leadership team is figuring out where I need where we need to fill in the gaps and, and hire someone who might be strong in a specific area where we as a team are weak at. Do you hire different or do you hire similar? And that is the key to, to, to that, uh, everything we're talking about is probably in this question. Do you currently hire people who are similar or people who are different? Yeah, I say everyone has particular weaknesses. We all do. I try to probe what their strengths are to see if their strength matches what I'm wanting them to be strong about. Because I feel like um, being weak in other areas is fine because that's the whole point of diversity. We're going to learn from each other if we're 
we're all weak in the same way, that doesn't help. So I say hire absolutely differently for the diversity aspect because you want strengths coming from all different pillars. Definitely. I want to take a few audience questions here because now we've, we've got this interesting conversation going on and a few more perspectives. One is how do you deliver honest but painful feedback? Like how do you do it in a sensible way? Carol? I, it's, it's one of the um, things that I hate most about being a manager, to be frank. And I think most managers probably feel that way. No one likes delivering bad news. But what I try to do is deliver it in a way where there are clear cut examples and a clear path to how I want that individual to improve. So instead of delivering the news and it coming across as, hey, you suck, it's no, hey, here's an area where I think you need to improve to continue to grow your career. And here's why I'm saying that. And here, I think, are some good next steps for you in order to improve in this area. Definitely. Jody or Suman? Yeah, I would say it's such a classic answer, but I always like to start out with what they're killing, what they're really good at and mm. how much I and why I admire that that particular skill set or strength. And then I always say in order to grow and become better, constructive feedback is the only way to do that. And it's hard to. It's hard to hear, but it's also really useful and really powerful. That's how I try to approach it. Suman. Yeah, I'm on board with a lot of that. Carol, I think your, your point about being, you know, the hardest part about being in a manager position is really being able to deliver that and, and being genuine about it. I've taken the attitude with my team. I'm a very candid person and I'm generally very honest with them. And I think that's been the feedback from my team too, consistently that they appreciate that there is no pretense of difference in in roles and leadership and i think that my approach to them is always being honest and candid without being in and clarifying that this isn't a hurtful situation because i think that the hard part about giving management or criticism or critical you know feedback as a manager is that people tie themselves to their work and when they do something and it fails and they're told hey that was unfortunately a bad idea, but maybe we can take some learnings from it and evolve further. I, I think is you can hear that and say, you weren't so far off, it just didn't work and maybe consider it differently. In terms of personal feedback, I think, yeah, being open and honest with them without being, you have to be professional. If you're not actually professional, right. then there's like any feedback unprofessionally taken is taken as an affront, is taken personally. But if you keep it above board, you're honest about the feedback, use the numbers, bring the data into it, have a discussion that's open and clear feedback back and forth. Like, what were you trying to do? What was the accomplishment? What was the expectation? And maybe this way we can improve this. And at no point does anyone feel, they feel heard, they feel acknowledged and appreciated without feeling like, wow, I suck at my job because nobody ever wants to feel that way especially if they're doing their legitimate best or they're making that strong effort to deliver. Yeah. yeah. This is a great book, by the way. I'm like coming up with books yes. here. <laughs> I have it on my shelf too, man. It's a great book. Love Radical it. Candor. Uh, candor. So uh, the awesome thing is I don't like reading. And so I have all these books here to remind me that I need to read. But what I do is I end up inviting people who wrote them or people who implemented them. And then I interview them like we're, we're doing here. And I, I learned that way. But my dad always says, and, and he still tells me, he's like, when you curse in an argument or in a conversation, like in a heated argument, 
when you start using foul language and start getting aggressive, you may be right, but it just comes across like you're wrong. Mm. Uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. The other thing I want to say is it's a consistent theme that I've seen. And I'm as an engineer, probably coming at everything with data is everything has a leading indicator and a lagging indicator, right? And, and performance reviews are probably the lagging indicator of a whole bunch of things. And it's our job as leaders to be proactive with the team. And that may be something like you have a real-time dashboard on KPIs, objectives and key results kind of thing that they're monitored through that journey for the quarter or whenever you do the whenever you do the performance review. So they know it's you're reasoning with data, they're seeing it. Maybe if there's multiple people in the department, maybe you have like a scoreboard to see who's doing better and whatnot. But there's human, there's like emotional aspects as leading indicators. And there's metrics-driven aspects as leading indicators. For example, if it's a sales rep, if you're not making X calls a day, then you're not going to close Y deals. You don't have to have this performance conversation that you didn't hit your quota at the end of the month. You can watch every day that, oh, this person's not making X calls or their calls are only lasting five minutes. And then you can hop on and you can coach them. The goal is to spot the leading indicators so you can coach your team so they can become successful and then that's a much better conversation versus you come in at the end and you hit the hammer on this performance review. I'm a big believer in weekly one-on-ones, regular yeah, yeah. one-on-ones. And you can't do an effective job and be invested in people's growth if you've got like 20 people reporting. And I always say too, as a leader, if uh, if we get to the annual reviews and I'm giving you feedback on something and, and it's a surprise to you in the annual review then I haven't done my job as a leader as well, too. So to your point about the the weekly one-on-ones and making sure that your team knows uh, where they stand and how they're performing throughout the year is super important. And it's the manager's responsibility to make sure that happens. Nothing should be a surprise in an annual performance review, in my opinion. Definitely. I agree. I wanted to also add, just going back to this, we were talking about pillars of culture in your organizations and that their empathy which comes listening comes with that. I want to talk about servant leadership style, which is very much in line with those cultural pillars you were talking about, where you are um, also asking your team for feedback. In addition to giving them feedback, you are regularly asking for feedback on your leadership style. And I think another way to give uh, constructive feedback to team is to demonstrate how to receive feedback. So if they're giving you feedback and you respond well, then they will model that in turn when they receive Mm. feedback. I think you nailed it. That's yeah. That's the approach I've taken too. is that, and to your point, Lloyd, like that weekly one-on-one has been a very powerful tool because it's not a exclusively me giving them feedback. It's also my request at that time. And I've told them this open, openly and over again, that give me that feedback back. Tell me what I can do better to help support your position and make you feel heard and more effective at your job. If there's something that I'm doing to be a blocker, I need to know. And if there's something I can do to encourage you in your career path, these one-on-ones are set aside. They're not always work-related. Let's talk about stuff. Let's get it out in the open. So you feel you have a good relationship with me and you can talk to me directly without feeling like you're worried about any kind of backlash or problems. And that goes right down to the the PRs, right? If you're hearing it for the first time from me, then absolutely, I've miserably failed at what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And I think to, to add to that is when you get the feedback from your direct reports, making sure that you actually take action on it as well too, and, and that they can see that 
their feedback is being heard and acted upon because if it's not, then you're just going to stop getting that feedback. I want to end with a couple fire questions here. Emotionally driven indicators, can you talk a little more about it or suggest a book article? We're all emotional beings. And I say this all the time. And and this is something you got to punt right at the beginning. When people start getting emotional, and, and it's usually towards a person, you have to have this philosophy that I attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Just separate the person out. And the way I think about it is if somebody is constantly attacking a person and it's forever and you can't get them to think outside of that, then I think that damages the culture and and you got to part ways. Relationships transcend companies. And relationships are like gold, right? There's people who have worked with in the past that are coming back to work with us. If you, the way you build relationship, look at what you're doing with your family or anywhere else. Like you got to treat the same at work, right? If you're getting, everything comes in a toxic, but you're getting emotional and starting to attack the person, then it's not professional anymore. And, and that's why marriages also fall apart is because you're not focused on the problem. When you're focused on the problem, it becomes collaborative, Hey, this is the problem. It's not a you problem. It's not a me problem. It's an us problem. And, and then when you attack that, you can come up with a solution. But if you're attacking the person, it becomes extremely difficult. I want to uh, take one question here. Do you hire for trajectory or do you hire for experience? And when I say trajectory, meaning you spot this thing in a person and they could like 10x your company or 10x in that role. Versus somebody who has years and years of experience. You know, I, I think that all depends on the position you're hiring for and, and what you're looking to, to do. I, I, we've had situations within our marketing team where, you know, we needed to hire someone that we needed to work on something that was super important to the company right now. And then we've had other situations where we knew that in nine, 12 months from now, that a specific initiative was going to take off for us or be a key focus. And we said to ourselves, okay, let's get an individual in that seat now. Let's get them up to speed on who Live Intent is and our culture and our values and our customers. And by the time they're ready to go, we'll be ready to move forward with this initiative. So I, I think there is a use case for both, depending on the situation. Definitely. I want to end by thanking you folks. It's been great. Carol, a lot for me to learn from you, lots of experience, but more importantly, your openness, right? We started the conversation with, let's do some slides. And you were like, no, I think (laughs) let's make it collaborative. Let's have a chat and let's invite some people on and let's have a, let's have a conversation. And that I think elevated this whole experience here. and, And we'll try to do more of these with other speakers in the future. But Jody and Suman, if I had to ask you for advice, what is the one thing you think you could put into action when you leave this today? I like the idea of balancing the emotionally driven indicators with data driven. And I like the idea of bringing in third party people to just reinforce what the executive team is already saying. And I liked that thing that you said about the funnel approach where you're educating at the top and then you're supporting it with data in the middle. And then obviously you're closing at the bottom. I think that's all really helpful for what we're trying to do at our organization. So thanks for that. Definitely. Yeah. As a takeaway, I actually just saw in the notes there, Francesca, the Q and A's that's incredibly valuable. And I think that at the company right now we do that, but it's, I think it's 
maybe not often enough, or maybe there's not enough comfort for people to be, you know, able to do that. But I think that's a big part of it. I think that takeaway is really good. And actually the stuff, Jody, you're absolutely right. I think those takeaways, that third party element, having that sales pitch from like an individual and external party who's done the review of it, but also even like vertical feedback. So if someone built a plan out, maybe discussing that with members who are, are going to disseminate it to have a little more feedback into it, have a little more, hey, how do I get more clarity? I think it's super valuable and I really appreciate that. When you're talking about the, the trajectory, that goes right back to the hiring for strength versus weakness though, right? Because what you're really looking for is how do we take that, fill the hole and make this person become lead off into a better opportunity for themselves while also building alongside the company. So I thought that was a really good question, genuinely. Definitely. And I want to add to that whole executive team, the idea of monthly q and I'm, I'm going to add one more flavor to that and, and I'm going to implement this. We're going to implement this as a company. I feel like we're adding more and more people and we all don't know each other. And yes, you can put the stuff in chat, in the company chat, and you can put it on the company wiki. But I think it would be great to do these mixers maybe every two weeks or start with a month and not just have a Q&A with the exec team, but interview your new people, the culture adders, the, not the culture fitters, but, but like you're, you're adding people to the culture. Yeah. Interview them. Why did they join? What do they see in the company? What do they mm. see that's exciting them to excel? What do they need help with? Their personal lives. Interview each other. Maybe the CEO or CTO or whoever on the existing team interviews a new person and vice versa. Culture ad is where it's at. And that's how we're going to build diversity in the company. And you and the key to growth, the biggest key to growth is openness. Thank you everyone for joining us. I need some traction. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Traction Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. And you can find more information and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at boast.ai. That's B-O-A-S-T dot A-I forward slash blog.